0: to twibbly or this week was way better last year my name is bill with one l with me just when you thought it was safe to go back to the water <laughs> it's mr jeff mcglage
1: yes that's me i was recently spotted one nautical mile off of rye beach <laughs> what's going on how are you how am i doing yeah i'm doing good i got no complaints i've been working yep. a lot on editing a, a book project and that's pretty much done now so everything's very getting into the very creative period of my year
0: as this show is going up, I am sliding headfirst into September.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: So, yeah, Labor Day weekend. So this upcoming weekend, mm-hmm. I guess. I haven't checked this to see but the dates fall. Uh, but at any rate, uh, yeah, on Labor Day weekend, on that Saturday, that's when I start working at the Renaissance Fair. Ah. And then that goes on for, I think, Three weekends without the haunted house. And then there's like a six week, five or six week overlap where I do both, Ah. which is nuts. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. As I like to say,
1: (laughs) you know what I'm doing? Labor day weekend. No, I am moving my daughter into college.
0: Ooh. How's that feel? Uh, It does not feel good, Bill.
1: I'm, I don't know that I'm ready to part with my kid, my youngest kid. At that right,
0: is she going to college far away?
1: No, like, she's only going to be it... about an hour from here at Salem State University. So I'm sure I'm going to see her surprisingly often. But sure, it's yeah. not the same. Like she's going to be living at college for right, you know, six or seven months of the year, and sort of the way that I imagine, because of her personality, is once she's a couple years in and is doing student teaching and is. Working in a school district, someplace, she's gonna get an apartment, and um, that's gonna be the end of her being at home.
0: Yeah, she's not coming back. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of hard to get my brain around. I've known Meg since <laughs> since your since Cindy showed me a, a picture of the pregnancy test. Yeah, I've known. Yeah, I've known, and she's always been, yeah, like you don't have to worry about Meg. I, she's always been super uh, strong and and self supportive.
1: Well, I'm not worried about her. I'm worried about me. It's, it's, I'm the one who's going to like, how do I, how do I deal with her not being here? Like I have never been been in a position where they haven't been here, you know? So that's going to be a huge, huge adjustment. And I'm the first week that she's gone. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. We may have a really interesting Twibbly to record that week.
0: You should tell Ian, you'd be like, all right, Ian, you're going to have to stop being a pain in the ass every once in a while, (laughs) just to make a, to pick up the
1: slack around here. For the love of God, make a mess in your room. So I have something to complain (laughs) about. Yeah, I'll oh, go trash Meg's room. Right. I'm I'm a lot weirded out by that whole.
0: Yeah, I I, I imagine oh, so. I remember over the springtime whenever Meg turned eighteen, and you were like, I don't have kids anymore. Yeah, I have roommates.
1: I have roommates. It's who don't know how to load the dishwasher. But yes, I have <laughs> I have roommates. So, I mean, part of me is excited because she's gonna learn that first like semester that she's out. She's gonna learn a ton of stuff about other people and how to negotiate. Yeah and navigate the greater world, and it's gonna fill her brain with great stuff. And when she comes back and she's home, maybe for the holidays, she'll be a different person. And I'm looking forward to seeing who that different person is. But it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna miss her while she's gone.
0: Now, you were a little older when you went to England,
1: right? Yeah, I was 23 when I went away to school.
0: Yeah, but think about how your mom must have felt. You're gonna see Meg on weekends occasionally. You were gone out of the country. right? When you got back, you moved out of state. Yeah. You know, that you had met Cindy over there. So yep.
1: yep. And uh yeah, that was I was one who went to college and didn't come back. So Yep. So I'm sure my mom is gonna go she's gonna cackle at me when I tell her that I feel bad that Meg is at college and I feel stupid for feeling bad about it.
0: Your mom's probably gonna be the last person in the world you wanna call and talk to about <laughs> Yeah,
1: she's gonna have she's gonna have no no sympathy for me. So
0: <laughs> All right, Ma, could you stop laughing, please? Yeah,
1: exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what it's gonna be like. So how do you feel, huh? Stop it, Mom. All
0: right. So uh, before we get into the show proper, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Hey.
0: There is a rare event that happens in baseball called the perfect game. Yes. That is when a pitcher or pitchers from one team throws three ups, three downs every inning. Right. Nobody gets on base. No batters from the other team right. get on base in any form. Right, they don't. Or, or they matter. don't hit. They don't
1: walk. Nothing. Yeah.
0: Right. So the perfect game. It's a pretty rare occasion. Right. How many perfect games have there been
1: oh. as of this recording? Ooh, I'm going to have a clarifying question at the end of this episode, Bill. All
0: right, Clarifying question before you ask it is: I am talking about Major League Baseball. Well.
1: Yes, I understand that that's Major League Baseball.
0: I'm quite sure the T-Ball, well, not T-Ball is a bad example, but I'm quite sure the Little League uh, team down the street over here probably had more than one perfect game.
1: Right, um, what I mean is, like, are we talking both National League and American League, uh, or is it just yes. one or the other? Okay. Major
0: League Baseball, what's been around Ma- for 150 years. Right,
1: well, again, both of those leagues were independent up until much closer to now than 150 years ago. That's why I asked.
0: Uh, okay. So Okay, well, good to yes. know. All right. So, but this is going to be the week beginning August the twenty eighth, and I believe it is your turn to start.
1: It is indeed August twenty eighth, twenty fourteen. Google, the company whose motto is "Don't be evil," announces its Project Wing. The project was is meant to allow companies to use it to deliver products across a city or a town using unmanned dry, unmanned flying drones. And considering those don't deliver anything, this project didn't go super duper far.
0: Yeah, that was like an idea nine years ago, and it hasn't really, you know, come to pass. As somebody that flies a drone, you know, as a hobbyist, uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon.
1: Nope. And
0: I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One, Google is, I don't know how they stay in business. They, (laughs) They invest so much money into these, like, projects that are
1: just doomed to fail. Right.
0: Like, remember the Google Glass?
1: Yeah, I remember. Was, didn't yeah. they just put out the... Oh, that was Apple that just put out the goggles, right? But it was Google Glass. I remember yeah. software that I used for a long time, like a thing called Google Wave. They just shoved yep. that one day. I logged into it and it was gone.
0: <laughs> yep, and then remember there was Google Plus? It was supposed yep. to be the uh, the alternates of Facebook? Yep. Everything Google does besides search engines just kind of falls apart, I guess. Although I, I do use the Maps program.
1: I think when they chase technology, they do worse than when they come up with stuff that's new. So, like, you mentioned Google+, Plus with them trying to be like Facebook. Yeah, well, why would right. you do that if there's already a Facebook, right? Facebook was successful because yeah. it didn't try to be MySpace. If it would have tried to right. be MySpace, MySpace would have continued on, the same sort of thing. I had a Google+, Plus account. I never talked to anybody in that. Yeah, ever. It was great. It was a, it was a vacant wasteland.
0: <laughs> I remember when this was all dance floor. Digital ghost town. Yep. And the other thing, too, you have to think about uh, with drones... You know, Google's mantra is, don't be evil. Well, good luck, okay? Because if you see a drone flying over it, somebody's going to shoot that thing out of the sky. Right. Every single day. Count on it. All right. All right, moving on to August the 29th. We have a celebrity birthday. Oh, yeah. August the 29th of 1939, uh, American director Joel Schumacher.
1: Nice. The man who <laughs> ruined Batman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the guy who will be free, always remembered as the guy who ruined the Batman franchise. Man, you get the Batman franchise, you have like a license to print money. And he was like, nipples! <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. What made the Batman character very popular around that time had a lot to do with the comic books. Because in the comic books, they had turned Batman into something really cool. The whole dark and broody thing.
1: Yeah, that was, and thank Frank Miller for that.
0: Yeah. But when Joel Schumacher took over the directing helm of the Batman films, he made it more like the 1966 TV series.
1: Yes. He definitely leaned more into the comic part of comic book. Yeah. I will say this about Schumacher. He wrote one of my favorite films of the 1970s. He wrote uh, Car Wash. Did you ever see Car Wash? No, what's
0: the one? No, that's not used cars. That's not no, used cars about. is with. No, car I know also. the movie. Yep. I know the movie Car Wash. Yeah, that was kind of like, uh, that was. I don't want to say black exploitation, but it was in that whole genre of uh, it, of movies. It was a. Comedy it was
1: though. a really weird short-lived subgenre called like slice of life movie, and it was it uh-huh. was really good. It just focuses on one day at this car wash from opening to closing, and it was it's uh-huh. great. It's got George Carlin in it. It's got Richard Pryor in it. It's got. All kinds of people. It's so fun to watch.
0: I know the song.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that actually led to that band, Rolls-Royce, becoming super famous because they record all the songs for the soundtrack and they all went to like number one. But he wrote the screenplay for that film. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. I know
0: he directed a lot of movies that I do like. Yep. He's got such like a, a black spot on his resume now because of, you know, the Batman films. Yeah. But he also directed Falling Down with Michael Douglas, which is a a fantastic movie. And then I I remember I wanted to watch this one movie called Eight Millimeter, which is about, it's like a crime drama, but about snuff films. Yeah. And it stars Nicolas Cage, who I don't like. And it's directed by Joel Schumacher, who I was like, I don't like him. He did the Batman movies. Uh, but that movie, Eight yep. Millimeter, in spite of everything it's got going against it for me, is fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's also, a great movie. I, I liked Eight Millimeter, and I, I sort of liked Falling Down, although I'm I'm still not. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember being yeah. conflicted about it when I when I first watched it because it makes you sympathetic for a character, and to root for a character who turns out to be a really terrible person by the end of the film, and I had never encountered right. that before in a movie, and it it made me really think. Uh, he also directed Lost Boys, which sort of kicked off a short-lived vampire rebirth in f- cinema with this sort of modern-day yeah. vampire thing. Um, uh uh-huh. Good good film. Kiefer Sutherland was in that one and, uh, and Alex Winter. Alex Winter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the 30th. What do you got? Uh, August 30th, 2017. Terry Pratchett, the, at the time he had already passed away, his unfinished works are destroyed by being squashed by a steamroller based on the instructions that he left in his last will and Testament
0: We're, right so Terry Pratchett is an author he is. yeah I, was, I should gonna, have mentioned that yeah I was just gonna I'm gonna fill that in because like I kind of know who he is I know you definitely know who he is yep. but people listening might
1: not so tell us about Terry Pratchett so Terry Pratchett is an author who's probably best known for the Discworld series of, of novels which are for those who read them are wildly popular and are irreverent and fun And really, really well written. One of the hallmarks of Terry Pratchett's writing is, even though he deals with subject matter that is not unusual, but is definitely more fantasy oriented, he's a fantastically good technical writer. So
0: Somebody was explaining him to me as the way Douglas Adams was to science fiction, that's how Terry Pratchett was to the fantasy genre. That was you. That was describing the. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I'm the person that you mentioned in that anecdote. He is definitely a lot like Douglas Adams in his irreverent approach to how he plays around with the tropes of fantasy writing. So, in, and then he's
0: British as well. He right?
1: is. He is. Yes. He's. He's British. And the idea that he would have his, his unfinished works destroyed as someone who's a writer and was recently dead fills me with both dread and admiration at the same time. Yep the history of unfinished works being produced and completed by other people is not it's not super common that it happens but it does happen and the results are generally not great if you if you ever read like Edith Wharton's book the buccaneers which was completed after she died based on her outlines and starting chapters you can see that uh. immediately where somebody else has picked up and has started writing because no one writes in the same voice so right so, uh, there was a posthumous
0: story put out by Douglas Adams called the salmon of doubt And I read it once, and I have the audio version of it. I'll have to dig out the audio version and listen to it at work in the next couple of days. Because I remember liking it. It's another Dirk Gently story. Yes. But I don't think it's finished. I I think
1: it kind of ends... Because he died. They didn't have somebody go in and finish the... Well, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out, because I don't know. I like the Dirk Gently books. The
0: book completes with a lot of like short essays that are actually really good, too. Hmm. I'll let you borrow it. Oh, to, great. Or, well, next time I'm up, I'll bring it with me, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. All right, next up is another celebrity birthday. That seems to be my thing this week. <laughs> uh, but August the 31st... Ni- well, that was your thing last week. It so was, was
1: yes. It up.
0: August the 31st, 1970... Teenie Bopper from the 80s, Debbie, or better known now as Deborah Gibson. I had no idea she was
1: almost the same age as me.
0: Her and Tiffany came out right about the same time. Yes. And we were, I guess, uh, like juniors or seniors in high school. Yeah, I
1: want to say that's a, that and sounds like it's about right.
0: I remember there just being in pop culture, this, like, rivalry between Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. It was style versus substance. Tiffany, with her first album anyway definitely outsold Debbie Gibson. But then the argument was like, yeah, but Debbie Gibson actually like, writes her own songs and performs the, uh, you know, some of the music on the album where Tiffany is just like dragged in and plopped in a in a vocal booth and said, "Here, sing this Beatles song terribly."
1: There's another aspect of this that I I've been thinking about since we decided to do this uh, as part of today's yep. Twibbly, In that like Debbie Gibson also had a record company behind her and her career was very traditional in that the record company sold records to record stores that sold the records to the kids who bought them. She had videos on MTV. She did some touring that in the same style that Tiffany did, but nowhere to the same extent before she was playing bigger venues with more people. Tiffany sold the records directly to kids in the mall when she went on tour. So neither of them got a lot of airplay, although Debbie Gibson got way more airplay than Tiffany ever did on FM radio, which drove her sales, as opposed to walking into the mall and it's like, Oh, there's a Tiffany concert today and buying a buying an album from her mother. Once
0: Tiffany's ball got rolling though, I mean she was headlining Providence Civic Center. My oh, yeah. brother went to see Tiffany. Oh yeah. Uh, with New Kids on the Block opening. Yep. Uh the difference being is Debbie Gibson's second album, which was called Electric Youth, that sold and then Tiffany came out with her second album, which was called Hold an Old Friend's Hand,
1: which you're well, not allowed
0: to bring on airplanes. The TSA will confiscate that, yeah. I will say yeah. Electric,
1: Electric Youth is a fantastic record. That's a great pop record. I had the yeah. uh, cassette single of that song for years and years and years, and it was it was always one that wasn't too far away from my tape deck, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, yeah if I had to pick, I would have picked Debbie Gibson. Not that I was a pop music person, but just the fact that she wrote her stuff mm-hmm. was That gave her the edge for me.
1: Yeah. I still, you know, say that Only in My Dreams is like the best song she ever did and holds up even today.
0: There was another song that she did that, like, as a kid, I would listen to it and, uh, like, on the radio. And the lyric is like, I could never love again now that we're apart. It's like, honey, you're 60. (laughs) You're going to move on. I can can almost guarantee it.
1: Right. The lyric couldn't be any less. Uh, Children-oriented and and less timely. If it was, you're not allowed to come to my birthday party. <laughs> and for those right. of you wondering, whatever happened to Debbie Gibson? She and Tiffany both act in like F-grade asylum-based terrible monster movies now.
0: Oh right, I think they're both in one of the Sharknados, like Part Four or whatever. The yeah,
1: hell. they're in like giant crocodile versus robot giant crocodile, and and some other <laughs> terrible ones that I watched on the Sci Fi Channel. All right, let's go on to the first. September 1st, 1897, the very first subway opens in the United States, it opens in North America, not even just the United States, but North America that includes Canada and Mexico. And that's in Boston. Uh, That's the T. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. The oldest subway system in, in, in North America. Yeah, that's really hard for me to get
0: my head around that the T system in Boston actually predates New York subway system. Yep, it does. Wow, no kidding. What year was this? 1897. 1897 is probably the last time they cleaned the bathrooms over at the Red Line, too. Yeah, Yeah, I would think. Um, the Braintree Station. probably brain, cow. Yeah.
1: Go. So I had no idea that, that one, our subway system was, was that old, and two, I had no idea that the oldest one was in Boston. And I one of the joys that I have when I go to Boston, like with Meg or Ian or even by myself to go to the museums, is I enjoy riding the subway. I think it's an interesting and fun way to travel.
0: I do, too, because each color has their complete personality of the kind of crazy that you get. Yep. The red line and the orange line, uh, for those who don't know the area, red line is south of Boston, orange line is north of Boston. They have their own different... Clientele? Categories of crazy, yeah. (laughs) I remember riding on the red line... You know, from Tree, which is the very last stop, Mm -hmm. all the way to the Green Line in Boston. Right. uh, You know, the city itself. And there was this man who was of a nationality, not renowned for their facial hair. Mm -hmm. How's that? And he is sitting down with a handheld mirror, and he is meticulously shaving dry his upper lip the entire run. Now... For those of you that have never been on a uh subway uh on the T in Boston, smooth ride is not in their mantra. Right. It's a, it's kinda of bumpy. Not the kind of thing you want to be shaving your upper lip for the entire twenty minute ride.
1: <laughs> no, you end up like the lady in uh in uh airplane two, right, who tries to tries yeah. to tries to put on oh, the
0: Yeah. She's in airplane not one. The, not- airplane no the ladies with the lipstick the guys the trying to shave, shave in the yeah. airplane too in airplane too yes. he you got the aftershave yeah yeah. Ah, yeah the whole ride yeah
1: i've always found the tea to be a, an interesting and fun way to travel even when it's really crammed with people it's amazing how yep. how like isolated and alone you can feel when you're surrounded by like 2000 strangers all going in the same direction like nobody talks nobody nobody yeah. looks it at one another it's mm-hmm. and, not looking at one another and i don't right. know if that's like a new england thing but you know, I've been like bumping against people and saying like, excuse me. And they just don't, they just look out the window into the brick, you know, as we're grinding. There was a kid that
0: answered everybody's question at the same time. He was getting onto the tee like last possible second and the doors closed right on him. <laughs> like, bang. And then they immediately open right back up. Right. And he just looks at us all. And he goes, Wow, that didn't hurt at all. I thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jeff, look at this. I got another celebrity birthday. Hey, that's three in a row for you. It is, huh? Everything I brought up this week was celebrity birthdays. But September the 2nd, 1966, the very Spanish and very beautiful
1: Salma Hayek. She is a a very awesome actress. I remember the first time I saw her in Desperado, which starred Antonio Banderas and was uh, the sequel to this super-duper low-budget hit by Robert Rodriguez called Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh No. It was fantastic. It's about a mariachi guy. It's a revenge movie. It was made for like $30,000, and it made millions. Because it made millions, he was able to not make the same movie, but it's very similar in theme and style with the main characters from the first film. Appearing in a cameo in this film, and it's a great, like modern Western. Super uh-huh. duper, super duper good. My experience
0: with Selma Hayek is limited. Mm-hmm. I remember her in the movie, the Kevin Smith movie Dogma.
1: Yeah, yes. And
0: she played Serendipity, right? Which is a goddess of beauty and inspiration, right? And there is a super funny point in the movie that if you're not really paying attention, you're going to miss it. She's trying to, with facial expressions and all that, try to get Silent Bob to pick up the golf club, you know, and she's like, you know, gesturing towards it by nodding her head and stuff, Right. and he's looking at her like completely confused, like I don't know what you're talking about, and like, how stupid do you have to be that the literal goddess of inspiration can't get you to pick up a golf club <laughs> and then I remember that scene. yeah it's such a great joke that i think kind of flies under people's radars it's yeah. really funny very recently she was in the most recent season of black mirror she was in the first episode
1: oh was she i know she did some sort of yeah. prestige pictures too she did uh, the biography of frida Kahlo, which was yeah a film she i think she produced it as well uh, uh-huh. Mexico's sort of greatest modern painter and she's in a, she plays like a, the wife of a drug dealer in another film that I just watched part of on Netflix whose name I couldn't remember if I had to. But she was Right, she, she was, was in the in vampire film Dust to Dawn Tell as well. Yeah, from Dust Dawn, yep. that's right. Another Robert Rodriguez film. Yeah, she's ageless
0: too. I mean, she's barreling headfirst towards 60 over here. She's, she's just turned 57. Mm-hmm. And she's still, she looks fantastic. All
1: right, and let's wrap up the week. September 3rd, 1983, a Swedish newspaper throws a contest where they pit a chimpanzee against five stock analysts to see who could earn the most money on a $12,500 investment. <laughs> see if you can guess who won.
0: Well, saying as I don't know the other
1: guys' names, my money's on on Bobo the chimp over here. <laughs> the chimp actually earned 190 bucks compared to the stockbrokers who collectively earned 130. <laughs> so, the chimp the chimp picked his stocks by throwing darts at a dartboard, and yep. the stock analysts, of course, picked their stocks by being stock analysts. The chimp housed them.
0: I don't do stocks. I know I have some friends that do all that, uh, and I I don't like it. It's like gambling to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like last a couple of years ago, the interest rates were so low, I wasn't getting you know anything on all the money they had in the bank. So I decided I was going to do some, you know, moving my money around and all that. And the bank teller, not teller, but the investment girl starts talking to me. I go, before you even get started, I am not doing any stock market stuff. You're going to have to talk to me about annuities, or whatever the hell, but I'm not doing any stock market stuff. She just closes her portfolio that she had opened <laughs> and grabs another one. <laughs> it's like, nope, absolutely not. Right. No interest. I go, that will stress me out too much. I'll yeah. be checking on it every day. Yeah. And I go, no. I, I go, I would rather guaranteed make this amount and roll the dice of losing Not money.
1: Not only no. do I not want my money invested this way, you don't want my money invested this way because <laughs> I will never stop bothering you. For me, this story reminds <laughs> me of, of, of my dad. So my dad yep. was an avid player of the numbers. He played the mass lottery every single day. Sure. And we had at our restaurant for a very short time a pigeon named P.D. And my dad would yep. put numbers down in little dishes with a little bits of food, and Petey would go and pick numbers. So whichever numbers Petey picked, it was the order of numbers that my dad would play. And when Petey picked numbers, they tended to come up more often than when my dad picked his own numbers. So my dad, of course, in this story, is playing the role of the five stockbrokers. And Petey the pigeon is playing a chimp. However, uh, it didn't end so well for Petey. My cousin ran him over on his way into come to work uh, as a dishwasher, and it was one of the few times I've seen my dad so sad he nearly cried. Oh, no! Because Petey the Pigeon was run over in the parking lot. And I don't know if it's because he was... You ran over my meal ticket, you asshole! Right, exactly. I was going to retire with that pigeon. (laughs) When I think of whoever, Jan or Olaf at the Swedish newspaper who put the chimpanzee versus stockbrokers thing together, I'm sure they were thinking like, Uh, yeah, if the chimpanzee is good at picking stocks, we will have him do our retirement plan. (laughs) He shall do our
0: 401k. (laughs) With the K in parentheses for undisclosed reasons. (laughs) All right, so that wraps up the week. We're going to get on to our uh, famous uh, weird-ass holidays. Mm -hmm. All of you on August the 29th can celebrate International Bat Day. Squeeze!
1: So you sure though that it's the bat that flaps and has eats mosquitoes and or drinks blood, not the bat that the baseball players swing when they try to play a perfect game.
0: No, it's the winged mammal that was a big source of blame for the whole COVID virus (laughs) thing.
1: Uh, Yep, that's that's the day we celebrate the COVID pandemic. Well, that, right? It's a national bad day. It makes it makes sense because the, you know, I'm sure the theme song is na 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 nah, nah, back day na 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 yeah. na
0: na. Yeah, everybody's going to leave out milk and cookies for Batman who comes down your chimney and dispenses justice. <laughs> <It's like> uh, <laughs> milk, cookies and a tied-up penguin. <laughs> they actually do right around that time of the year too down in Texas. I'd be interested to see it. They do bat tours. This is yeah. Series of bridges where all the bats kind of like hang out, like millions of them. Yeah, And I guess if you're terrified of bats, that would not be the thing to do, but I'd like to see that. If I had some spare time, which I never do, and some spare money, which I have even less of. (laughs) And
1: and it's like, what what would I like to do with my day? Let's go look at a giant pile of bat droppings, like a a mountain of guano and Dermestin beetles. a ray.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got uh, another segment we're going to try out this week. Uh, this is the News of the Weird, Yep. a newspaper article by the same name. Uh, so it's just a weird-ass news story from this week. So uh, on August 30th, 2015, British director Missouri Williams, and that's his name, uh, brought in an adaptation of Shakespeare's King Lear to the London Courtyard Art Facility for <laughs> a one-week run. He was the only human actor staging this play. The rest of the whole cast was all
1: sheep. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, he wasn't a full-time uh,
1: shepherd, part-time play producer.
0: I don't know what he was. Oh. they don't answer a lot of my questions here either. Uh, so the pivotal <laughs> character, the pivotal character of this play, uh, Lear's daughter Cornelia, uh, famously withholds flattering Lear, yes. thus foregoing inheriting the kingdom, right? And her silence, her silence forever tortures Lear, right? And of course, silence pretty easy to you know pull off with a sheep. Uh, They're not very vocal
1: characters. Um, (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm pretty sure their acting's pretty mad. Yeah.
0: Only you would say a joke (laughs) like that. Yes, I I had uh, to do it, though. uh, So the actor in this play, whose name looks like somebody dropped a Scrabble bag on the ground, I'm not even going to try to say it. We'll just say his name is Al. Uh, So Al admitted that there is an element of unpredictability with the sheep. (laughs) You think? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but also said that they're always on time. They're pretty calm, and they don't have a lot of fee demands.
1: And they bring all their own sweaters.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. All right, that
1: was sheerly terrible. <laughs> <Have> you, <laughs> that's a good one. Have you ever seen King Lear? Out of curiosity. No, I haven't. It's a really good play. I mean, I'm sure seeing it with sheep playing all of the ma- the characters who aren't the king is tough, but uh, yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a really good play. There's a. F- a Japanese version of it called Ron, which is worth checking out if you don't want to go find a company that's doing it. Deal with all, if
0: you don't want to deal with all those English words, right.
1: Yeah, it's not so much that. It's just like, I don't think there's a good film version of it that's been made. Other, I don't want to see a movie in language one. I
0: understand, you <laughs> nuts. Well, anyway,
1: it's it's worth seeking out.
0: Would you say it's the best movie ever, or would you say it's... <laughs> the
2: worst movie
0: Jeff. Bill. uh, So, yep, we're going to do a a worst movie ever this week. (laughs) And some years ago, this movie became my watermark for bad movies. Yes. In the 80s, there was a horror movie that was often talked about, but I had never seen it. It
1: is called Chud. I remember the full page ads in Fangoria for this movie when I was a kid and thinking, this is the greatest thing I could ever see.
0: Well, the movie has a one and a quarter million dollar budget, and I'm guessing most of that went to advertising because I'm pretty sure. This yeah, this movie is something else.
2: Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs. An endless maze of subterranean tunnels. Unfit for anything human. Unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! It's not moving up ahead at the top! and unlikely to bring anyone down there. So... They're coming up. Shut. Check your basement and your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow... The only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground dwellers. Chud. They're not staying down there anymore.
0: So I bought this movie as a part of like a four-pack because I had never seen it and I wanted to see it. So I bought this like four-pack of movies and it was in it and I invited my friend Bob and his wife over to watch it and... Lauren fell asleep during the movie, which is uh, no surprise to anybody. She (laughs) falls asleep. Yeah, she's like a narcoleptic almost, right? She may as well get a Dreamcatcher tattoo and just get it over with. But at any rate. (laughs) So, uh, Chud is allegedly stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. Now, I got a lot of problems just with the semantics of this movie. Right. Because if they're cannibalistic, that means these monsters eat their own
1: kind. Yes.
0: And? Yeah, I mean, nobody gives a shit about earthworms. <laughs> they don't make horror movies
1: about them. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Unless you see the movie yeah. Worms, which is about yeah. worms. A yeah. 1970s so, eco horror movie.
0: So you and I just both watched this movie recently. We did. And you, I tell Jeff he needs to see this movie so can, we could do the review of it on the show. And then you send me a text message and you're know, like,
1: is this the right movie? Is this the movie that you hate? Because apparently you liked it. I, I actually, I did. I was, there were three, your, there were three.
2: Taste <laughs> in your ass! Oh,
1: Jack. <laughs> there are three things that surprised me in watching Chud. Now I'm gonna preface this by saying when it comes to bad movies, like I have seen the worst of the worst. I have seen the worst so movie, have I the worst movies that, some I of those movies went to Chud. Some of okay. those movies I have shown you yes. when you've come to visit me in my house. Before you go through the three things that surprise yeah. you,
0: you could probably summarize it a little bit better than I sure. can because Here it is. Here I is. have a hard time maintaining interest in this movie.
1: Here's the summary. Uh homeless people have been disappearing for a few weeks. No one cares until non-homeless people start disappearing. As the film opens, a lady walking a dog gets uh, snatched by something that's under a manhole cover. That woman yep. turns out to be the police captain's wife. So he has this like desire, he has this need, this personal desire to find whoever it was that killed his wife and her dog. Yeah. It turns out it, it, this. I'm going to do a very short summary. The government has been storing radioactive stuff of some sort, I'm saying that with air quotes in the sewer system and the people who live in the sewer system are mutating into these monsters that then eat people that's the chuds Right. it's made aware to the police by Daniel Stern's character who who plays like a former ex-con who runs a soup kitchen in a basement of a burned out building, apparently and yep. has been reporting that that's the guy from Home Alone, isn't it? He's, yeah, he's one of the robbers from Home Alone, the one that's not yep. Joe Pesci Right. He keeps telling the police, like, hey, this guy's disappeared. He hasn't come back. He lives underground. I don't know where he is. He usually comes every day and eats soup. But the cops don't care because these are homeless people, which is a theme in the film. But because the cop is looking for his wife, he pairs up kind of with Daniel Stern to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, Daniel Stern has found a photographer who takes pictures of homeless people for, like, an art book and cajoles him into sort of helping look for these monsters underground. That guy is having a relationship with a woman who wants to be a model, who's going to be terrorized by these monsters later.
0: Yeah, there's like eight storylines going on in this movie, and please don't expect me to remember anybody's name. Oh, no, no, I, I can't either. That photographer guy
1: is like the worst boyfriend ever. He is terrible. He's He's played by John Hurd, who went on to become a lot more famous. In fact, a ton of people in this movie went on to become a lot more famous after this movie came out. He's played by John Hurd, and he is is the worst boyfriend ever. He screws up his girlfriend models like one shot to get into a perfume ad by complaining that she's laying naked on a bare rug, and she gets fired... And then whenever she wants to talk to him, he just walks past her and is like, leave me alone. I need to develop some pictures. (laughs) He's like a giant jerk.
0: One of the weirdest scenes in the movie is, and like, I don't even know why they did this scene. Because it played no point in the plot whatsoever. Right. But she was like, hey, um, I'm pregnant. And not in so many words, she was like, so you want to keep the baby or you want to do something else with them? What do you want to do? It's up to you. I can go either way. I'm pretty loose and goosey about the whole situation. I'll
1: do whatever you think is right. Be be aware. It's hard for pregnant women to get modeling jobs. Like it was like that kind of almost like just go get this taken care of. Okay. It was, I mean, he was, he's terrible.
0: I may be the woman, but I have no emotional attachment to this discussion
2: whatsoever.
1: (laughs) What's kind of funny is that he keeps going down into the sewers at different times and and is following Daniel Stern around in, in the underground to take pictures of the homeless people that are there and get a feel for like, I don't know, putting it out in the city so people can see. He's a, He sends those pictures to the newspaper typically. But when yeah. it comes down to like the police versus the nuclear regulatory agency about what they're going to do about all this radioactive stuff that's in the sewers, that's when the film gets to its sort of monster movie climax where the plan is to send poison gas through the sewers to kill all of the Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers.
0: Okay. There's a lot of problems here, yes, too. Because there are one, time. the movie's like 90 minutes long, and it takes roughly
1: 150 minutes.
0: Mi- <laughs> yes. Yeah, 70 minutes to get where it's going. Right. right? There's at one point with the girlfriend model girl. This this I like busted out laughing when I'm watching this, right? She calls the police because that dog that we mentioned yep. earlier. Let me just say this. Hold on, I gotta back up. The movie starts out with this, like, long shot of uh, a woman walking down the street of, like, obviously, like, a New York street, completely vacant except for her and her dog. And you're, like, lingering over the manhole cover. Right. And then you just see this, like, creature hand come out of the manhole cover, grab her and the dog, and just drag her underneath. Yes. That movie starts out strong. And then nothing happens for another hour or so. (laughs)
1: Uh, the reason that the John Hurt keeps going down into the sewers is because his mother is homeless and lives underground. She has like mental illness and won't like come up, so he has to. Yeah. He she gets she she gets arrested because she tries to steal a cop's gun when he's <laughs> when he's out on like walking patrol, so she can go and kill the monsters in this in the underground. So they arrest yep. her and she makes her one phone call to John Hurd who comes and picks her up. So that's how he ends up getting involved in all of this, all of these shenanigans. The real villain in the film is is the leader of the nuclear regulatory agency who has been yep. moving nuclear waste through New York, through the subway system for like 20 years and is now uh-huh. caught and will kill anybody to protect himself.
0: Right, because that's his ass if they figure out it's been him doing right. it. right, Now... Later on in the movie, the girl there, the model, she finds the dog in question. It's like (laughs) torn to pieces and hanging up in her basement. Right. She calls the cops, and she is so nonchalant about it. She's like, yeah, found a dog, slaughtered, hanging up in my basement. Okay. Okay, bye. Hangs up the phone and then immediately takes the the (laughs) sexy 80s movie shower scene. Yeah. Yeah, and then you yeah you see like the chud is kind of like working its way into the building, and then like the water's kind of water level in the in the tub is rising yep. a little bit. Now I have long hair. Yes. that happens to me all the time. And the first thing I do is I wipe my foot along the the drain to clear whatever hair is you know congealing up at the top. Not this woman. She reaches out, grabs a coat hanger, and starts <laughs> jamming it down the the, the, the the pipe. Right, and then. The pipe just explodes in like a like a blood balloon, just blah, just covers her, and then the music is supposed to be like this almost scary, like, pitch of the violin, screeching noises yep. and psycho, like that, but it doesn't sound like that at all. What it sounds like is the laughing dog from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, <laughs> <Her> Muttley. <laughs> Yeah, Motley. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's exactly what it sounded like. And then it goes to some other scene, like down in the sewers or whatever, and it comes back and the bottle's like getting dressed. Nobody says Jack shit about her getting covered in blood. Yeah. It like never
1: happened. Right. Yeah. And and she isn't even phased by it. When she does ta- she talks later to Jared and she's like, Yeah, I'm pregnant. She doesn't say, I was covered in animal monster blood because the plumbing's <laughs> no good in this terrible building we live in. And there's a point later where the monsters come in to the apartment where she lives and she's able to sort of sneak around them and get out.
0: You're missing something awesome, dude. She kills one of the chuds. Yes. She pulls out a freaking sword. Yep. I, I wish I was making this up. A very <laughs> sharp sword. I don't know why she's got a, a, sh- a... Like, this wasn't for show. This was for utility. Right. Yeah, this is, a, this is a real, a
1: real sword just in case.
0: Yeah, like with a, a curved blade and everything. Yep. And she just whacks that dude's head off yep. and it came off Pretty Entry, clean. Yep. Yeah, it didn't look like there was a bone in there or anything, right? So I'm thinking to myself, get to the press, dude. Tell this, tell everybody. I saw it in every family. We'll take care of these <laughs> chuds
1: one by one. What was funny was in that scene was the monster like raised its neck up. It, it raised its head above its shoulders by like four inches, so she had a clean shot at the neck. Right before yeah, it she was cut the head like off. A turtle. Yeah, it was stretched like a turtle. It was really, really dumb and <laughs> stupid. You know, she takes off after that. But again, she's she never gets phased by any of this. Every time any character, even the police detective, who's looking for his wife, when they they find his wife's body, right? And he's sitting there with two cops, yeah. and the cops are like, Chief, don't you you know, you you barely touched your banana kaboom while he's, you know, drinking. He just says like, I'm gonna miss her. Like <laughs> I gotta find the guy that killed her. It's like, okay. Like You didn't take any days
0: off? Yeah, exactly. you get three days off for bereavement there, pal. <laughs> what are you so, doing here? So the in, the in the last, like, five minutes of the movie, they kind of, like, figure out that this evil businessman trope of a character is behind all this, steals this truck, and he's going to try to run all of the good guys over. So you get the photographer, the cop, the soup kitchen guy and the photographer's girlfriend. Right. And he's, like, coming at them, like, trying to run them over with the big truck and all that. And then with this, like, six-shooter, this guy, like,
1: shoots the guy, <laughs> the bad guy, like, through the window. Yes. Directly, directly the, in his heart, it immediately kills him.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, perfect, right? And then the front tire of the truck, like, kind of, like, falls into an open manhole cover and then the truck just immediately explodes and bursts into flames because that happens.
1: <laughs> I watched that scene a couple of times to make sure I understood what was going on. And I, I had to back up about 20 minutes and take notes about the plan that they had to kill the Chuds. And at first I thought yep. they were putting poison gas into the sewers, but it wasn't. They were just putting gas, like natural gas. So okay. So, but I don't know how the whole like city block didn't go up into a gigantic fireball. When the truck explodes yeah, those no things vent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd think uh, you'd think it would one. It would also smell like rotten eggs everywhere. But two, the, like all of the gas would explode, not just the gas under that one truck. Right. It was a movie that sort of aped another film that was less cheap, but not. I don't know if it was as good. Called Humanoids from the Deep, which is bound to be talked about on this show at some point, and yep. follows the same beat structure. If you watch both of those movies at the same time with the, yep. with the volume off, the same events happen, there's different groups of people that are in the film, but the events all happen at the same time.
0: If my memory serves me correctly, Humanoids from the Deep has more nudity in it. A lot more. Alright, we should have watched that one instead. (laughs) But the whole thing with Chud and whenever I watch it for the first time, the thing that upset me the most about it is when that truck blows up, that's the end of the movie. Right. It's like uh, gee, there's still a problem with these cannibalistic humanoid
1: underground dwellers killing everybody. Yeah, they don't even know if they get them all. That's the yeah. that's what they're like, oh, well, I guess they're all dead. That is the, not the natural conclusion of the movie. The yeah. real monster was the guy from the nuclear regulatory agency. Well, before we yeah. before we finish up with this film, like I said, a lot of people starred in this movie that went on to become a lot more famous. So let me run down the list yep. of who's in the cast and sort of where they're sort of from. So there's John Hurd, who went in. He was the father in Home Alone. He was the yep. villain in Big. Do you remember Tom Hanks' movie Big? He was yep. the executive at the toy company that wanted the kid out. Daniel Stern we've talked about. He went on to become popular in the second banana and Home Alone. So he and John Hurd were both in the same movie, Home Alone. Yep. Uh Christopher Curry, who was a character actor that was in Raising Arizona is in this. Michael O'Hare, who was Captain Sinclair on Babylon 5 was in this. John Goodman in his first film role was in this. Frankie Faison was in this. Sam McMurray was in this. So all of these guys are like went on to have like really big careers and they A ton of them started, like, right here in this garbage monster movie.
0: They owe it all to Chud.
1: They owe it all to (laughs) Chud. Daniel Stern made films before this. He was in Breaking Away, but he wasn't in a lot between Breaking Away and Chud, which explains why he was in Chud. (laughs) But as far as, like, why I like this film, I like this film because the acting in it was really good, and the script was pretty clever. I like the way that it focused on the idea of, like, no one gives a shit about the homeless people even if monsters are eating them, until it starts to impact the non-homeless people. Like, I thought that was a good theme to explore. I just wish they wouldn't have done it this way.
0: I just think that if you have a horror movie about creatures, that the creatures should be, play at least a part of the movie. Yeah. There was so much going on in this movie besides the creatures. Right. I don't know. I think, I, I, to me, it was. it was very slow and pandering and boring oh,
1: it absolutely could have been like they could have had like a serial killer who was killing homeless people and then started to kill non-homeless people and it could have been the exact same movie Yep, it didn't need monsters at all especially monsters that all wore the same brown shirt and pants which seemed unfunny because it was homeless <laughs> people that were mutating but yeah so I, I it seems like the monster stuff was added later like they wrote this to be a killer story it turned out not to be one because I I think they probably couldn't get their $1.2 million to make a serial killer in the sewers-killing-people story. But then throw a couple of monsters in there. Here's some money. All right, so before
0: we wrap up the show, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hello. Yep. Uh, A very rare occurrence in baseball is the perfect game, and there has only been X amount of perfect games in the 150-year and almost a quarter of a million professional baseball games. How many perfect games have been pitched?
1: Oh boy! All right, this is an interesting question. I know that at one point in our in our past history or research for this show, I ran across the two perfect games that were pitched in eighteen ninety five and eighteen ninety six, and then there was eighty five years before the next perfect game was pitched in the National League. So knowing that there could be a span like that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and guess with the American League added in, maybe seven perfect games in the history of baseball? Uh, The
0: most recent was June the 28th of 2023. A man by the name of Domingo German got the 24th perfect game in um, MLB history. It was the Yankees. He pitched for the Yankees and they beat the Oakland A's 11 to nothing.
1: Huh. So, yep. 24 is way more than 7. But... Yep. In the grand scheme of how many baseball games there are between eighteen yeah, ninety five really and now, rare, yeah, yeah, that's like it might as well be none. That's how that's yep. how few there are. There's probably been f- a million baseball games since the start of uh, of Major uh, League a Baseball. A quarter of an
0: uh, almost a quarter of
1: a million, almost two hundred thirteen thousand. Yeah, so, so one uh, one thousandth of a percent are perfect games. What does that tell you? Yep.
0: And what's hilarious was, there was three of them in 2012. Three games that were in 2012, wow. which is crazy.
1: That is crazy. Yep.
0: All right, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff.
1: Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. And better yet, throw us a ranking over at the Apple Podcast app. A five-star ranking.